0: Otherwise,
1: on SAFM. Well, there you go. You're listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM, as we do every weekday between 1 and 2 o'clock. The team with me in the studio today is Hazel Makazeni, Derek Fordyce, and I'm Kim Winter, standing in for Nancy Richards. Well, usually on a, on a Friday, we, we like to uh, feature women's centers, and today we've got two centers joining us in the first half. Kanya College is an independent NGO based in Johannesburg and works to strengthen community-based organizations and individuals through education, and we'll be talking with them today about their Gender and Women's Empowerment Program. And then after that, our uh, other featured women's center, Sisters for Sisters. It's a community-based organization dedicated to the empowerment of women and girls in my Mind, body, and spirit, engaging community outreach in the areas of domestic violence, HIV and AIDS, homelessness, women's health, and mentoring young girls and tweens. And then in the other half, according to South African depression and anxiety group SADAH, Teenage suicide is on the rise. One in five South African youths consider suicide. And 60% of youth with a mental disorder do not receive the treatment they need, with only 1% of mental hospital beds assigned to children. Fekile Magubani is a mother whose 15-year-old son committed suicide. And Fekile has written two books and works to try and prevent this strategy from happening to other families. She talks to us today about her experiences, and she shares her story. That's the line today, so do stay tuned.
2: I'm T.S. Ngamoni. It was 16 years ago that my father started working at Total as a forecourt attendant. Growing up, there wasn't a man I admired more. In 2009, Total awarded the bursary that helped me get my degree in economics. Today, I'm following in his footsteps working as an intern at Total. They're helping me reach my full potential, and that's why I'm proud to be part of Total Achieving Level 2 BEE status.
1: Cheers, we couldn't be prouder of you. Total. The journey of
3: transformation continues.
1: Jazz is back in town, and you never know what you're going to get with the Standard Bank Graham Sound Jazz Festival. But hey, that's jazz for you. Experience the magic of Steve Turo, Vossi Maklesela, Jonas Kwangwa, Mikasa, Shane Cooper, Barney Rachabene, Soweto String Quartet, and many more. 27 June to 6 July. Book now at CompuTicket. Standard Bank, moving forward.
0: Otherwise, on SAFM.
1: Well, starting off the program today, Kanya College is an independent NGO based in Johannesburg. It works to strengthen community-based organizations and individuals through education. And we're going to be speaking to Dr. Maria Fandriel. She's the coordinator of Kanya College Women's Center, and she's the CEO of the Women's Center as well. And we have her on the line. Hi, Maria.
4: Hi, uh, Kim. How are
1: you? I'm very well, thank you. Thanks, thanks for joining us today. Thanks
4: for the invitation to Kanya College.
1: Let, let's start with the history of the, of the college. When was it set up? And give us a little bit of background on Kanye College. We,
4: was, we have our roots in the anti-apartheid movement. We were formed in 1986 by the South African Committee on Higher Education. And it was a bridging college initially for black students to university. And because of the education system, it was also academic support. But there were problems of black students getting into, you know, universities of repute like WITS and UCT because they were for white students only. So we then managed to get accreditation from Indiana universities for our courses. And we then ran and we pioneered courses that weren't at universities in South Africa at the time, like African history and African literature. And students then came for the first year. To Kanya, mm-hmm. the exams were marked, etc., and the course was accredited by Indiana University. Mm-hmm. And then when they went to second year, Wits and UCT accepted them. And we did a lot of community support as well, because the students also had to be, to do community work, because we looked at education as education for society, and not just only for education to improve oneself. By 1990, of course, with the unbanning of organizations, mm-hmm. Of, of the organizations in South Africa and the democratization process, it was clear that universities were supposed to be open, more black students would go directly, we were scrapping racism off the statute books. And for Kanye College, we then just continued our work within the social justice framework, focusing now since then, particularly with, on the trade union movement, social movements and communities, and in particular women who make up a large part of these movements as well. So since then, our work has been in an educational area, but with different sectors of society. Um, as I say, women are one of the important, um, you know, areas of our work. And we then formed. So in the 1990s, we did a lot of work from with the movement supporting their struggles against the privatization of water, um, understanding the new labor legislation coming in working with all the trade unions and so forth. And what became clear as well was that you couldn't just do gender work in general, but what we needed to focus on in particular was also to look at women themselves and their position in society and for them to empower them to lead the struggles, whether it's in the home, whether it's in the community, whether it's in the school, in the university, etc. Because I think what we're looking at is Even today, still, although there's been many changes in South Africa, women, and in particular black women in South Africa, are right at the bottom of the ladder. Mm. And they still remain the face of poverty and inequality and, you know, no skills, no development, no access, etc. And it's particularly bad in the rural areas although, I mean, in the cities as well, as you know, informal formal sectors. And we work in the inner city, and we work in Gauteng, we work in southern Africa, okay. and Africa. Um, and okay. we find that that is a trend internationally as well, you know, in terms of the position of women in society, and how women just get left behind all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so in 2011, we formed Sexy Samosadi, which is a, a woman's center. And it is geared towards women in terms of empowering women. It's also a space for women to just drop in. A tranquil space to read, to write, just to have a cup of coffee. It's also a space where we looked at how do we assist women in terms of access to write. So we started the Women's Advice Center as well, which is of course since grown and taken a life of its own because What has happened is that, you know, when you have an advice center, women come in one by one, but it also means that they need to know about the center, and then there's also questions of transport and location and so forth. So what we've done subsequently is we run mass advice days, and we've been doing this with sister organizations, other NGOs, Mm. as well as fraternal organizations, and constituencies that Kanye has worked with over the years. So for example, in December last year and in February again this year, we ran, we went, we worked with the housing concerned residents and went door to door to say we're going to have a community advice clinic, a legal clinic here. And on the day, 230 people pitched, predominantly women. Okay. We also then got support from the NGO network that we work with and that we set up. And this is a group of NGOs who are paralegal that includes organizations like Legal Aid, Pro Bono, Power, um, Lungelo, NISA, women's organizations. We bring on board the Department of Labor, the Department of Social Development. We bring SASA. And the the community then is able to actually get a sort of one-stop advice. So instead of, you know, the concept has changed as well to make sure that we locate the access to math advice within communities. So instead of just having an advice center in the community, we really try to get communities to come, you know, um, in mass on that not way. Ju-
1: not just women, but, but communities well, as well.
4: communities as well. Yes. But then we also have special setups for women. So yes. we have uh, facilities where women can get counseling. We have a range of women's organizations that are there specifically to deal with own issues. But after that as well, if the women are referred we then follow up the cases with them and then also assist in continuing until the issues resolved. A lot of the issues, um, Kim, are also social, you know. I was going to ask you, Maria, what, what are the questions,
1: the, the issues, the challenges that these women come to these mass advice sessions or to your centre with?
4: Well, you know, the issue of domestic violence is big, right, mm. Issues of maintenance for children, the non-maintenance of children that we don't just grow up, we just don't have a culture where people take responsibility, you know, and men take responsibility for their children. But what came up particularly, which was very widespread in Soweto, was the housing issue and mass evictions. Grandmothers die mm. and they don't know it. The grandchildren get an eviction order because the house, the grandmother died interstate without a will. Mm. And there's, it seems like there's a scam, you know, within sections of the local government. And the house is sold. And the grandchildren and the children who are left behind who are then evicted because somebody else says, but we now own the house. So it's become a big issue that is, that's become particularly a social issue in terms of the issues of housing. Wills. I think before in the past we've never had to look at working class people having wills and having to put down, you know, what happens to me when I die, etc. Because we, you know, associate very often wills with private property and huge properties and things like that. Mm. But this is clearly a big issue and it's a legal issue because then that family is involved in a long battle in terms of getting their title deeds, especially now with access to. You know, our DP homes and homes that have then been bought, and since particularly in the new South Africa, there's been a problem in terms of ensuring that people get their title deeds. So this is one, this is a social issue. You yeah. know, as I say, it's not an issue that just affects one person. And so what the math advice does, it helps us to assist people as individuals, especially women who've got issues, you know, related to violence or access to grants or things like that. Mm -hmm. And then it also helps us to assist women and men and the community in particular on social issues.
1: Maria, there's a a lot going on at Plania College, as as you just (laughs) said there. Um, And and, and there's quite a range of different programs and and things like the Mass Advice Days that you hold. How can people access these programs? Where, where where's the best stopgap to to visit? Do you have a website? What's the best way? We
4: do. We do have a, ve- a website, um, which is uh, College dot org dot okay. um, and we also run very public programs like the Jersey Book Fair, where Women can come and host issues, literally organizations, women as authors, self-publishers. We get home-based care workers, for example, to participate. And, you know, this year what we're looking at, they're launching the research that they're looking at in terms of, you know, these home-based care workers are predominantly women. They work in the community. They, they deal with a lot of issues about the new generation, the next generation, social issues related to health, etc. But they're not recognized. These stories are now being told, and we will be hosting that, so we 've got a book fair as well that is very public where you know we invite the public organizations, other NGOs, social movements, fraternal organizations you know to 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 host events, to exhibit these tools, to participate, and to engage in roundtable discussions so besides our book fair, you know if people go, you can also email us mm. at admin. Okay. A-D-M-I-N mm-hmm. at kanyacollege.org.za.
1: Okay. And we'll put all this detail up on our Facebook page as well, Maria, because there's lots going on and there's lots, I think, that people can get in touch with you about. So thank you so much for, for coming on the show today and, and sharing what you do. Thanks very much, Kim. Thank you. Thank well, you. Bye. Well, that was Dr. Maria Fandriel. She's the coordinator for Kenya's College Women's Center. And as you heard, there are lots going on from Mass Advice Days. Uh, I think they still run some academic programs. So if you'd like to find out more, visit their website, www.kanyacollege.org.za, k-h-a-n-y-a-college.org.za, or you can email admin at kanya.org.za.
3: SAFM interact on every level. This is our website at safm.co.za. Follow us on Twitter at SAFM Radio, or simply like our Facebook page, SAFM Radio. I like it. Let's have the conversation. SAFM, SAFM South, South Africa's, Africa's news and information leader. Otherwise,
2: on SAFM.
1: Right, well, next on our featured women's centers or organizations, every Friday we like to touch base with women working together to improve their lives and empower others. If you have uh, come across a women's center, be it here in South Africa or even overseas, drop us a line on otherwise at safm.co.za, otherwise at safm.co.za, or you can visit our Facebook page, otherwise on SAFM. But today we're featuring an organization called Sisters for Sisters. It's a community-based organization Dedicated to the empowerment of women and girls in mind, body and spirit and we have founder Eunice Oyugi and Crystal Asanga with me in studio and forgive me if I haven't got those two names right Welcome ladies. Thank Hearts you. Come. All right, so Eunice let's start with you as the founder
2: What was your vision and and why did you start sisters for sisters? Okay? Uh, we started sisters for sisters myself and a group of women. Uh, what happened King is that as a survivor of domestic violence I Suffered from very low self esteem. I felt very isolated. I was very angry. And speaking to women within my community, lots of them could identify with the issues that I was facing at that time and what we decided was to come together as women and form a support group whereby we could deal with uh, these issues such as isolation by coming together we would break that isolation and then through this uh, group we decided to to start just sharing with each other and just being a support system for each other in our community and this worked very well because being together we started uh, doing storytelling of Uh, domestic violence issues that uh, we've gone through and one woman after the other we started sharing these stories Mm -hmm. and uh, you know I just watched one person opening up and other person opening up and it made us stronger and we broke isolation and that's how Sisters for Sisters started. It's now an organization, we moved from a support group into an organization running programs and our main aim now is to provide a supportive environment for women who've um, experienced any form of abuse or domestic violence. We work with about five partner organizations. We work with the University of Cape Town. Cape Town. They've been very helpful and that's how I made contact with uh, Christelle and others that work with us. Mm. We work closely with the St. Mary's Anglican Church which is hosting the organization. We work closely with the Woodstock Police Station because they refer women to us. We also refer women to them. And we work closely again with the local shelters in the area because the issue is what happens to women when they leave the shelves then it is a question of the Cairns Joint Support System such as Sisters for Sisters in the community.
1: Okay, and the community you're speaking about is, is Cape Town? Cape is Town, yes. Cape
2: Town, okay. Yes, we work in Cape Town. We are based in Woodstock, but we've got two more branches out in Westlake and another one in Nomzamo in Somerset West.
1: Okay, yes. so so women, any, any woman can come and contact you if they're needing your help and assistance? Any,
2: yes, any woman can contact us, and then we've got an intake assessment, which determines whether the women will fall within our program or whether we need to refer the woman to a different institution. For example, women who come to us who need one-on-one counselling, then we refer them off to to FAMSA or we refer women uh, to places such as trauma counselling. So it depends on the need, but we act as a one-stop for Mm -hmm. any woman needing help. And then the other thing that I need to mention, Growing from a support group into an organization, we now run uh, psychosocial support, and we've got a PhD student from the University of Cape Town who's helping us to run that. We've got Christelle who's running the Young Girlfriends program. We've got another volunteer who's working with the youth boys. And then we're in the process also of setting up economic empowerment uh, for the women in Sisters for Sisters. Gender Commission is coming on board to work with us on our advocacy mm-hmm. as well. yes. And you, mm-hmm. you
1: mentioned there that you, before we get to you, Crystal, about the mm-hmm. Young Girlfriend's sure. Program, you mentioned there that you're a one-stop what? organization, one-stop for, for women. But you also, you say you, you look after mind, body, and spirit. Why mm-hmm. was that important to define what you do with, with those three elements?
2: elements. Mm-hmm. Okay, it is very important, Kim, for the simple reason that the, the three, the work together. You know they have to be coordinated. Mm. You could be functioning physically, but if emotionally or emotionally you're not functioning, then the whole body cannot be coordinated. yeah, so that's why we we kind of like uh, look at empowering women in as a, using holistical approach, mm-hmm. yeah not just one area but different aspects of the women. For example, we've got the psychosocial support, and then we've got the economic empowerment, which deals with women that are looking for uh, income-generating activities, or women that are looking at um, getting a skill so that they can be able to go and start up a small business and train okay. for themselves. Yeah.
1: And, Crystal, how did you get involved? In, and tell us a little bit more about Young Girlfriends
4: Program.
3: Okay, well, sure. Well, um, I came on as a volunteer at the beginning of the year um, uh, to work with Eunice. And basically uh, what Young Girlfriends is about is um, it was – it was established over the past couple of years by Sisters for Sisters, where they saw a need to be more inclusive with regards to ages, so not just looking at the woman, but also looking at the young girls, and um, especially the young girls who've been exposed to violence and who've witnessed domestic abuse and intimate partner violence. So um, we came, I came on board um, with Eunice this year where we I run workshops with the young girls between the ages of nine and eighteen, where we run workshops about life skills, leadership skills, um, and empowering them to be aware of what's going on in their environment, but also to Act as a sisterhood and and to act within the community because some of the girls who live um, in those different communities communities do feel a little bit isolated and a little bit distant so it's actually creating that sense of community and togetherness with with the girls
1: and also speaking about sisters for sisters mm-hmm. and that sort of sisterhood yeah. do do you find that the the older women uh, that come to you. Are act as mentors do you want that to sort of happen or you know is there that connection between the, the older women and the younger women as well yes
3: definitely I find that with my group um, with the older girls kind of acting as as the mentors because this, uh, for the Young Girlfriends Program is a mentorship program where we want all the older girls who kind of act as the big sisters to mm. the to the younger girls and offering them advice and, and, and that sense of uh, again community. So we I have
1: definitely found that with the interactions with my girls in the workshops. Mm, yeah. So so it's, you you run workshops and mm-hmm. how often does that happen and how can how, how can girls access you as
2: well?
3: Well, basically, it's been through word of mouth and on Facebook, but, okay. um, yeah, so that's how we've been getting our girls, and the workshops are run every two weeks, where we address different uh, different activities, where different activities are run from watching DVDs, from um, um, having joint workshops with the with the young boys, because we found that it's been quite interesting to break down those barriers, and not just be seen as girls and boys, but actually a community. Um, and, um, yeah, we've been running different types of workshops, addressing what is beauty, um, what is sense of self, uh, what is really... Relationships, uh, what um, you know, different different topics that they've themselves have written about and have uh, wanted to address. We kind of incorporate that with um, within the
1: workshops that we run. I was going to say it's interesting that you've actually also incorporated a, a focus on boys as well, yeah. because having that male voice is so important, mm. isn't it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. What have you found having those boys as part of those workshops?
3: Um, it's been really interesting, especially with the younger boys, because, you know, at, they're at the age where they don't really relate to each other and it gets quite awkward. Yes. So it was quite great to have them both um, in the workshop and, and, and interacting with each other. And we've had one workshop so far. We want to run more, so we break down those barriers and make it more inclusive. And um, we get to hear the different voices because, you know... Um, um, abuse with women and domestic abuse doesn 't just happen with women, but it happens within the system, and the males are
1: involved so yeah
3: which is quite which has been quite great to see how
1: how um, ha, each of them are have you got the girls and the boys in the same room, or have you worked separately with the
3: boys? um We run separate workshops, okay. but we do run joint workshops um at times Okay.
1: Yeah. you said the you know the boys tend to be a little awkward and don't connect with each other, mm. but do you find that the girls really? Can quite easily form relationships mm. yeah they I found my like,
3: girls to be more very mu- more extroverted and very much um, more uh, social in in that way um, mm-hmm. obviously it depends on their background and where they come from,
1: but uh, most of them have been quite social. Mm.
2: Yeah.
1: How long has Sisters been? For Sisters been running.
2: Sisters for Sisters was founded in the year two thousand and eight. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So All right. we've been around for quite a while. Have
1: you seen any changes in terms of?
2: Yes, I've seen uh, quite a number of changes. Kim, mm. I've seen women becoming stronger. You know, women who joined uh, the organisation who could not talk, reaching a point whereby they break those barriers and you know they start sharing. You see people come in the group. And they are shy they're not interacting with others but later they develop friendships i've seen women develop friendships outside the the, the 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 support group and being friends outside and looking out for each other i've seen also smooth integration of uh, women refugee women coming into south africa finding it much easier for for them to be in the country because then we we look at ourselves as women you know mm. sisters for sisters has got uh, diversity in terms of who is in uh, our program. So I've seen that as well. I've also seen uh, women get going back to their communities and opening support groups, you know, people like patients who are out in Strand, just opening a branch of Sisters for Sisters and being there and having it within their community whereby they don't have to spend money to come to Woodstock. So I've mm-hmm. seen that. And also I've seen organizations also come in and partner with us. And so we work together. So we don't have to duplicate, mm-hmm. but refer to other organizations who could uh, best support women in other areas. So life.
1: important to work together as yes. a collective yes. and, and yes. strengthen. Yes. And yeah. so
2: the best way that people can get in touch with you would be the? The best way would be through email. It's uh, info at sistersforsisters.org.za. And we have a website. It's www.sistersforsisters.org.za. .org.za. Yeah. Right.
1: Crystal, Eunice, thank you so much for coming to studio. Thank you for today. having thank us. Um, thank you. Very, very inspirational your work and I hope to hear from you down the line as well. Yeah, thank, thank, you. thank you. So if you want to know more about Sisters for Sisters, you can visit sistersforsisters.org.za or you can email info at sisters, and that's 4, yes. number 4, mm-hmm. sisters.org.za Well, um, that was Sisters for Sisters, as you heard, and that was Eunice Ougi and Crystal Asunga um, and uh, hopefully we'll hear from you guys down the line and still to come after the news headlines teenage suicide we talk with Fikile Magobani whose son committed suicide at the age of 15 we get her thoughts on how we can combat the rise in teenage suicide in South Africa but it's just gone 1.30 and it's time for the news headlines with Aurelie
0: otherwise on SAFM
1: Yes, you're listening to Otherwise Talking Women here on SAFM. Fakile Magabane has an important story to share. It is one she hopes will help youth and parents in South Africa work to combat a steadily increasing number of teenage suicides in the country. After her son committed suicide at the age of 15, Fakile has tried to use her own personal story of tragedy to highlight a reality in South Africa. She's written two books, her first, Son, Are You Standing or Hanging? and her second book, released this month, is titled Help. Fakile joins us today to share her story. Welcome, Fakile. Uh, good afternoon, Kim, good afternoon to the listeners. Sir I believe that Help is due to be released this month. Uh, can you tell us a bit about what your vision for your book is?
0: Mm, I think it's best to start with the first one. The first one, uh, I was crying. I was out of my mind. I was sharing my story. Now I think the, the time for, for, for tears is gone. It's now time for action. Mm. So Help. Stands for The H for help stands for give people hope. The E stands for encouragement, mm-hmm. embracing. And then the L stands for give people your love and give people light, especially those that are trapped in the cave or in a cave or in, in that dark, dark corner, darkest corner of depression. And then P stands for prayer. Mm. and and prevention of suicide. Okay. So the book now is sort of conscientizing the different sectors of society, number one, in telling them that suicide is a reality, it's there, and our children are dying. And according to the World Health Organization, every 40 seconds somebody uh, commits suicide. And for every completion, 50 to 200 people attempt, so you can imagine. And the the, the challenge is, why do we have the, the numbers of the people dying through this uh, monster mm. increase instead of decreasing? Is there something that we are not doing right? So help is there to sort of like uh, make people aware of suicide? make people away of their mental health diseases and also remove the stigma because, uh, you know, when you are depressed or any have anything to do with the the mental disease and so on, people sort of like ostracize you and they laugh at you and they give you names. So, and also the good news is it's preventable. So Mm -hmm. if we join forces... Everyone in the corner, sort of like bringing the light in the corner where you are. And if we join forces and not do things fragmented in your own corner. So we we learn together, we work together as a collective, then there's quite a lot that we can achieve. And also help is just in that the pain that I felt when I lost my son is indescribable. And I don't wish any parent to go through what I went through and I am still going through. So I'm saying learn from my mistakes. I'm saying learn from the warning signs that I missed. And I'm saying uh, suicide, as Professor Slebus says, it must start early, uh, early when children are still young at home. So family is important, parents are important, and also the schools and the teachers because that's where our children spend time, most of their time, Mm. and also at the workplace where the parents are spending time, because if one is depressed, everyone in the house is affected. So it's about that. It's it's divided into three sections. Um, Know about suicide, the second one, Uh, getting help, the third one is giving help. But in an un-sort of like, because, you know, we've got the, Professional help. Mm. So this one is uh, for just the ordinary people like myself, where it's unprofessional help before you you you, you approach uh, the, the, the experts or the professional uh, mental health specialists.
1: That's a so question I was going to that. ask you, for Kile. What were the support structures that helped you during that 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 difficult time, and and the organisations that people should know about as well.
4: Um.
0: Uh, Let me just tell you that people are really not aware of suicide. Okay. And I don't blame them because I also never thought that such a thing would happen to my family. So it's something like when people tell you about the figures, you say, oh, it doesn't concern me, it concerns somebody else. So that is why then I've, and I'm not an expert uh, in suicide prevention just because my my son died uh, of suicide. But there are people that are psychiatrists, that are psychologists, and so on. But I think I'm an expert in feeling and surviving the pain, certainly in knowing the type of, uh, of, uh, of the support that I needed and I didn't get. Yes. And also uh, in sort of like reading more about suicide and getting that interest because you can't prevent something, you can't fight something that you don't know. So I had to sit down and spend... So I've been spending this for for 12 years looking around and I also had an opportunity of giving a paper when the International for Suicide Association, uh, EASP, for Suicide Prevention Association, they invited me to come and give a paper on uh, suicide bereavement where more than uh, 80 uh, countries were represented. And I saw that it's not only a South African problem it's worldwide mm-hmm. so people were sharing whatever their countries were doing so I was able to be exposed and also I've you know, motivation that people are doing something I also need to be doing something about that
1: Why do you think we are facing an increase in suicide and specifically with teenage suicide? Uh,
0: there, are a range. There, there, there are many things that expose them number one Remember that uh, the teens are sort of like experiencing those developmental changes. Mm. They are now attached to their friends more than people around. And also uh, they talk to their friends more than the more uh, they, they they talk at ease with their friends more than their parents and they spend most most of the time. And I need to say this Dr. that it's not also easy to see when they're depressed because they've got so many gadgets that they're using. It's either it's a TV game and so on, so they're busy. Mm-hmm. So, and also the parents are working so hard. They come back home late, and uh, you come there. Sometimes the children are already asleep because you've got to sort of provide and give the children the essentials.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: So it's a combination. So that is why I'm saying the parents must type out means to balance, balance things, and uh, and give the children some time. Just listen and be approachable by your child because they may want to say something to you and then they see that you are sort of busy and then they, they just hold it back and bottle it up. And it's uh, very much, uh, you know, uh, it's dangerous because, you know, when you've been bottling things, you know, Imagine a, a, a pressure cooker when, when it explodes, what happens. Yes. So it's either it's an injury to self or an injury to the next person.
1: Vicky, mm. are there warning signs with, with yes, children? Yes, Okay.
0: There are warning signs, mm. and I always spend most of the time on that because I remember when I lost my son, I had lost my husband, so he died within four months of my husband's death. So whatever I saw in him, I thought it was because we're all grieving. Yes. But then when I learned more about suicide and learned more that those that have lost their uh, you know beloved relatives and so on are vulnerable and at risk. So if I knew that, I would have taken some precautions. That is why I'm saying uh, I want to share my mistakes and share mm. my experiences with the parents so that they don't do the thing. You know, make, make the mistakes that I did. Mm. So the sign I'll, I'll first talk about the signs that I missed, which my son had, because he simply withdraw and spent most of the time in his bedroom. Uh, he he suffered from sleeplessness, but it was in the sense that. He was a student at Kesney College, and he was a boarder, so it was during the the, the school holidays. So, you know, we always become left and say, okay, they can sleep late and so on. So, I, mm-hmm. I didn't quite really see that he was suffering from sleeplessness. So, it's sleeplessness and loss of uh, appetite and giving out the, you know, the, the position, the, the possessions that you so much want or, you know, you give it out, you talk about death. Uh, with me, you talk about his father's death and also go Uh, to the uh, visit the the, the cemetery all the time, taking flowers, Mm. maybe about twice or six times a week. Mm -hmm. So when I come to think of it, you know, there was something growing in there. He was telling me that I'm I'm in pain. And also uh, uh, sometimes getting tired. So I remember one time I said to him, uh, please wash my car. I said, Ma, I'm going to wash your car, but I'm so tired. So that tiredness, you know, this was loss of energy, and uh, you don't want to do anything. You are just tired, and he was complaining of the physical pains in his muscles. So I thought because he was joking a lot, it was because of that. I, mm. I, I wasn't aware. And also he said to me, uh, "Mummy, my friends say I must take some uh, illicit drugs uh, to sort of like uh, to, to, to ease the pain, the illicit pain that I have because I've lost that. Mummy, I would rather die than take the, the, the drugs." Then I praised him for that, not knowing that he's telling me that he's going. Mm. So that is why I'm saying it's very subtle and very tricky, but the signs are there. Yes. So sometimes a child will change his behavior, uh, the moods, and sometimes he will answer that and you think, you know, this child is stubborn and disrespectful. And uh, disrespectful, I'm sorry. Disrespectful. Uh, and yet the child is telling that I've got a problem. Please help me. Mm. That's how they, 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 they talk to they change their behavior.
1: And that's where I can imagine also schools play an important role. If they see a change in behavior with, with your child, that they come to you and you, can, you feel like you can work together to figure it out.
0: It's very important that the parents and the teachers work together. But then, before that, I think what is important is the awareness and also the education about this disease. Not only... Uh, suicide. The prevention of it, mm-hmm. because prevention is cheaper and, and easier than than cure. Yes. So to talk about those things where people are given a chance of expressing their feelings, uh, a, a parent will listen. You know, listening skills. Where you sit down and listen without interrupting, without offering the the, the, the advice, and so just to listen, and also show the person that you are not in a hurry. And give that unconditional love. So mm-hmm. those are the basic things. And also to teach our children about uh, uh, resilience. And also, you, you know, life challenges are there. They'll always be there. So now our challenge is to sort of like prepare our children in case something happens. So that when it happens, at least they have that positive attitude and not a negative attitude and see desperation instead of of that, see just a silver lining within whatever, that darkness. Mm.
1: You spoke yeah. earlier about, about stigma. Do you think that there is still a stigma attached to accessing counseling, to accessing help, um, admitting that you need help in today's society?
0: Well, the stigma is still there, which is caused by people not understanding uh, 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 about suicide mm. and also taking it in a jocular manner and that, uh, you know, looking down upon those people. So you go there, you are afraid to tell people that are depressed. And people still uh, think that if you are depressed, you are showing your weakness. So people, you know, you know we all are sad or depressed at some point in time mm-hmm. in life. But then when you see that it's taking more, you know, of weeks and what, then it means there's a problem. So you need to say when we have got that, go and and look for help. And also where help is supposed to be there, people must be treated in a respectful manner and and those people have the right attitude so they're going to go there you know, we are received and you are not afraid to go there. I remember when I took one of a, a, of, a, of, of, of a teenager who had taken some poison. I took her to one of the hospitals. I won't say its name. Mm-hmm. But then she was semi-conscious and the nurses were scolding at that mm-hmm. person saying, you know, why didn't you just kill yourself? Why do you come and waste our time? We are so busy now. We need to attend to you, you know. So sure. that type of an attitude. So even those people that are professional. Mm-hmm. They also need to be educated. So one of the things that I'm, I'm doing is to facilitate that type of a training where parents are going to be taught. You know, when you have a problem, you, you rush maybe to, 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 to a religious group or you go to church. So those people must be prepared on how to handle you. You go to your friend, you go to your relative, and so, so everybody needs. That everybody needs to be conscientized about this and to know exactly what to say because there are things that which you say and you say to a person that is uh, already suicidal when you say that you prompt that person to sort of carry on and commit it so you, you need to have a certain way of talking to that person without judging him and also showing that you are understanding uh, but also uh you know, just telling him your stance about suicide—that you believe there are other ways of solving uh, problems, other than you know, taking your life. You know, so there is a way in which people are trained into how you know, and also uh, the training also is for the, the parents that have got uh, parents of depressed children. Because if you have got a depressed child or a teenager, you need to know how to cope. You need to have those uh, skills. Mm-hmm. So those are the skills that people will be getting. And also the teacher. When children are coming there, how do you sort of like see a child that has got a problem? And if the child has got a problem, what is it that you do? What are other, you know, networks that you can rope in so that you get that type of a support? Okay. So care, everybody has got a role to play.
1: How can people get hold of you if they're interested in in, in your training and also your book as well, Help?
0: Uh, uh, I'll just give you my number. Yes. It's 079-028-6063. Uh, yes.
1: mm-hmm.
4: Okay. Then I'll be
0: able to give them the touch the class.
1: All right. And we'll we'll have that information, So If you would like to get hold of Fikile, you can email us on otherwise at safm.co.za. Fikile, thank you so much for joining us today and for telling your story as well. Thank you so much. Thank you, Fakila. Keep well. Bye bye. That was Fakila Magobani. She is the author of Sun, Are You Standing or Hanging? and her new book titled Help. And if you'd like any information on that, just get hold of us. Well, that's it from Otherwise Today. Up next, it's ShopChop Children's Program.